Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Farfetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. And it occurs to me as I sit down here to record this episode that I may have to change my tagline sometime soon. I may have to change it to, Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell and you're listening to Farfetch, a podcast about my completely paid and completely enjoyable career as a writer, because there's just so much shit going on right now. I was all set to start recording this episode and I got a phone call from my agent. This is not my script writing agent. This is a woman who, who, who sold my book, The Close Encounters Man, How One Man Made the World Believe in UFOs, the biography of Dr. J. Allen Hynek. She sold that book for me several years ago to uh, Day Street Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins, which is the biggest publisher in the universe. So that was kind of a big deal. So um, Wendy only does book stuff with me, and we have had a book concept, a book proposal out there in the universe collecting good energy, and we've been waiting to hear if we're going to be able to actually do that book project. But just now, just, just as I was about to hit the record button, my phone rings, and of course, dumb to leave the ringer on when I'm about to tape a, uh, when I'm about to record a podcast, but the phone was still on. Phone rings. I pick it up, uh, and I just missed a call from uh, Wendy, my my uh, literary agent. So I call her right back, and she's all excited because she has had uh, a brainstorm for a new book. Uh, she deals only with nonfiction. She doesn't she doesn't want to deal with fiction at all, and she's she's done v- extremely well for herself. Okay, she she's got a beach house in Malibu. She's she's not hurting. She's doing really well. She's a great person to have on my team. And so she's all excited this afternoon because she's got an idea for a book. And she said, you're the only guy who can write this, which, of course, is music to my ears. So, yeah. So Wendy's all excited. She's got this book concept. She wants me to put together a proposal. Um, The beauty of writing a nonfiction book is you do not have to write the whole book before you sell it. All you have to do is write two, maybe three sample chapters and a really strong proposal, and you can sell your nonfiction book that way without having to write the entire book. That's how I sold The Close Encounters Man. I had only I only had about three chapters uh, written when that was sold. So, super exciting. I like Wendy's idea. I think I can really have fun with it. She thinks we can not just have fun with it, but make a lot of money with it. So, it's pretty cool. And this is coming on the heels of, I just finished up a script that I'm going to, a, a feature script, a feature movie script that I'm sending out to a director tomorrow. And the last couple of weeks, I mentioned this in the last episode, the last couple of weeks have been phenomenal since I started sending out query letters to literary agents. I've just gotten some incredible responses and even the rejections are kind of, kind of great. Like I got a rejection the other day from a, an agent who, who said, you know, you look good, but uh, I'm not taking anybody right now, so I'm going to have to pass. But thanks for sending me your, your letter. And I wrote back and said, well, you know, thanks for your kind words. I said, you know, to be honest, I'm actually getting a lot of interest off the query letter. So the agent wrote back to me yesterday and said, that's good. 
It's a horrific biz, but lightning can and does strike. Trap it. I thought that was a great letter. So here I am trying to trap lightning in a bottle, and man, right at the moment, it's going pretty well. Things are, things are happening. So for today's regularly scheduled program, <laughs> I, w- I decided instead of reading one of my unsold pitches, I would dig into my first sold pitch. I've already told part of this story in earlier episodes of Farfetch'd, so I'm not going to rehash all the, the whole background, the whole backstory. Just suffice to say that uh, after pitching to Star Trek for a couple of years and pitching dozens of stories that did not sell, the very stories that I've been reading here on Farfetch'd for the last couple of months, after all that... Towards the end of the sixth and penultimate season of Star Trek The Next Generation, I made a sale. I pitched a story idea to Brandon Braga, who's one of the producers of the show. He really liked it, and he said, I'm going to take this upstairs and see if Michael Piller likes it too. I'm going to see if we can go get this story made. So that was super exciting. So I wait a week or two, and I get a call back from Brandon Braga, and he says, okay, Mark, here's the deal. This isn't a straightforward uh, script purchase or story purchase. Here's the deal, he says. We love your pitch. And he said, the script that we were all set to shoot next week just got tossed in the trash by the showrunner, Michael Piller. So he said, we are in a bind. We have to have a show ready to go before camera next weekend. We want it to be your pitch But he said, here's the catch. We have to write a whole new script because, you know, I only pitched a story. I did not, I hadn't written the script yet. So there's no script. There's a story idea, but there's no script. And they need to start shooting this episode in a matter of a couple of days. So so he says, here's what we want to do, if this is okay with you. He says, we would like to buy your story concept, which is basically buying my pitch line or my log line. And he said, we will write the script. He said, there's no way we could put an outside writer in this kind of a situation and expect him to write a script in like 48 or 72 hours. We would just never do that. So he said, if you're willing to play ball with us, let us use your story idea. Uh, He said, "You, you will have many more opportunities in the future. But there was another catch. And that catch was that they just wanted to buy the log line and... According to the Writers Guild rules, that doesn't really exist as a writing category. And because of that, there is no minimum payment established by the Writers Guild for a simple sentence. So uh, Brandon said, here's what we want to do. We want to buy your story concept from you. Because the concept of the story concept doesn't really exist, With the Writers Guild, he said, we can't put your name in the credits, not even as a story credit. So he said, you know, please, please let us do this. Save our asses and and you will be rewarded further down the line. Well, you know, what was I going to say? Of course. I'm like, yes, yes, of course. I'll play ball with you. Yeah, let's get this episode made. So uh, next thing I know, we've got a contract signed and... And actually, uh, Wendy, the agent I was talking about before, she was actually, she was my agent for my Star Trek stuff initially, way back in the 1990s. So the story comes full circle with her having called me this afternoon 
In fact, I told her what I was doing with the podcast, and she just she just started cracking up. She thought it was so funny that I was reading my unsold pitches. But what I have in my hand right now, you can't see it, but I can. As I was going through my files to prepare for today's episode, I came across a a carbon copy, or actually a photocopy, of the very first check I received from Paramount Pictures for the story concept for the script that became the episode Timescape. I was paid by Paramount Pictures' studio disbursement account. I was paid exactly $1,750.00. That's $1,750, a cool $1,750, dated April 7th, 1993. That was my pay for one sentence. And I swear, dollar per word, this is probably still the best I've ever been paid for my writing. So I thought it was kind of cool that I came across that, uh, that copy of the check. I probably should frame it. It's kind of a big deal. That was really, you know, my first entry into the business. But what I have today as a special treat, instead of, as I said, instead of reading one of the unsold pitches I made to Next Generation, I thought I'll do a dramatic reading of the script Timescape that Brandon Braga wrote from my story concept. I don't remember what my title was when I pitched this story to them. It might not have even have had a title. I think that's kind of what my memory is telling me, that I, I didn't have a title for this. So Brandon, Brandon and the staff came up with the title Timescape. I've got the, the official shooting script right here in front of me. This script has gone through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It has gone through 10 revisions. It is now dated... The final draft that I'm holding in my hands is dated March 29th, 1993. And on the first page, we have the title, Star Trek The Next Generation, Timescape. This became the 25th episode of the sixth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Written by Brandon Braga, directed by Adam Nimoy, which I always thought was kind of cool. I wish I had met Adam Nimoy. I bet he would be an interesting person to get to know. Uh, especially not just because he's Leonard Nimoy's son, but because he also married Terry Farrell from Deep Space Nine. So this guy's got some super deep Star Trek connections. Anyway, so the rest of the page says, the writing credits may not be final and should not be used for publicity or advertising purposes without first checking with the television legal department. Copyright 1993, Paramount Pictures Corporation. All rights reserved. This script is not for publication or reproduction. No one is authorized to dispose of same. If lost or destroyed, please notify the script department. And then we get to our cast list. Here's the cast for this episode. Picard, Riker, Data, Beverly, Worf, Troy, Geordi, Computer Voice. Along with Romulan, Romulan Alien, Romulan Alien 2, and Ensign. And then there are some non-speaking roles. There are some crew members, some security people, some engineering people, some medical people, three non-speaking Romulans. Uh, And so that rounds out the cast list for Timescape. Next page, we have the list of sets. This was the kind of show they loved doing because this was... Almost completely a bottle show. 
almost all of the action takes place on standing sets. The shuttle, the, the runabout, I'm sorry, it's not a shuttle, it's a runabout. The runabout sets, the USS Enterprise sets, uh, and one set aboard a Romulan warbird, the engineering room. So the interiors in the Enterprise include main bridge, transporter room, engineering, sick bay, and data's quarters. And then in the runabout, we have the cockpit and the living section. And here we go with the teaser for Star Trek The Next Generation, Timescape. Fade in. Interior sickbay. Optical. Riker is sitting on a bed, a nasty-looking scratch on the side of his face. Beverly is scanning his face with a medical tricorder. Beverly. You really did it this time, Will. It's not just a scrape, it's a deep cut. Riker tries to move his face, winces in pain. Beverly picks up a healing device and starts to wave it around his face, healing the wound. Beverly. I can heal it, but it would serve you right if I didn't. Riker gives her a look. Beverly, continuing. You can't keep playing Parisi Squares like you're 21 years old. One of these days you're going to fall and break your neck, and I won't be able to heal that so easily. Riker looks a little sheepish through all this. Riker. Actually, I wasn't playing Parisi Squares. Beverly continues the healing process. Beverly. Hmm. Worf's calisthenic program again? Riker. No. Beverly cocks an eye at him. Her interest peaked. Beverly, oh, what were you doing? Riker's embarrassed. I was trying to feed Spot. Beverly, Data's cat? Riker nods. I told Data I'd feed it while he was away. Riker is disgruntled. Riker, all I remember is setting down the food, and then a hissing ball of fur came out of nowhere. I hate cats. Beverly completes her scan. Beverly, you've just got to know how to handle them. Riker, maybe you'd like to feed Spot. Beverly, I'd be happy to. Worf's calm voice. Commander Riker to the bridge. Riker taps comm badge. On my way. Riker stands, heads for the door. He gets an idea and stops, reaches into a nearby medical drawer, and pulls out a phaser. Riker, oh, and doctor. Beverly looks at him. Riker, you're going to need this. Riker tosses her the phaser and exits, off Beverly's amused look. Interior bridge. Worf at tactical, NDS at various positions. Riker enters and moves to command. Riker, report. Worf, we are picking up a distress call on the long-range sensors. It is Romulan, sir. Riker, Romulan? Worf, off console. They claim they have suffered a complete engine failure. Their power levels are dropping and their life support is failing. It could be a trick. Riker considers. Riker, how long until our rendezvous with Captain Picard? Worf, approximately 13 hours. Riker makes the choice. It's a risk. Riker, set course for the Romulan ship, Mr. Worf. Raise our shields and go to red alert. I want to be ready for anything. Off Riker's tension. Exterior space runabout. Optical. At impulse. Picard, voiceover. Captain's log, stardate 46944.2. Commander Data, Mr. LaForge, Counselor Troy, and I are en route to the Enterprise after attending a three-day conference on the psychological effects of long-term deep space assignments. Interior runabout cockpit. Data is at the controls. He hits a few controls. Data to computer. Computer, activate automatic helm control. Computer voice. 
Helm control activated. Data stands and moves to the rear of the ship. Interior runabout, living section, optical. This is a new set, a large room with a table, chairs, a couple of beds, and a console. Picard, Geordi, and Troy are seated around the table, finishing the remnants of a sparse lunch. A bowl of fruit, sandwiches, drinks, etc. The mood is fun, light. Data enters and joins the conversation. Troy. So just as I'm leaving the reception, a Katarian walks up to me and says... Troy impersonates someone's voice. Troy continuing. So, Diane, I understand you're an empath. I'm a very sensitive man myself. I'm doing a thesis on interspecies mating rituals. Would you care to join me in some empirical research? Picard and Geordi laugh. Geordi, don't tell me, Dr. Mazan. Troy, surprised, that's right. Geordi, he's notorious, but he really is an expert on interspecies mating practices. Data to Troy. Did you help him with his research, counselor? Troy, absolutely not! Data, but I thought that topic interested you. Troy, awkward. Yes, but... Picard jumps in. I'll explain it to you later, Data. The others exchange an amused look. Troy takes a seat at the table. Geordi to Troy. What did you think of the rest of the conference? Troy, to be honest, I was bored. I spent most of my time in Dr. Wagner's phylobiology seminar. I thought the idea of a seminar was that we would all participate, bring different points of views to the discussion. He gathered 200 scientists from all over the Federation, and all he did was put us to sleep. Data to Troy. I have a memory record of the entire lecture, counselor. I can repeat the portions you missed if you... Troy, quickly. No! Thank you, Data. Picard leans back in his chair, fatigued. Picard. It wasn't any better at the physiognomy workshop. Dr. Vosbinder gave an hour-long dissertation on the ionization effect of warp nacelles before he realized the topic was supposed to be psychology. Geordi. Why didn't somebody tell him? Picard. There was never an opportunity, never a pause. He just kept talking like he was speaking in one incredibly long run-on sentence. It was almost hypnotic. Troy smiles. They continue to eat and drink, trying to relax. Geordi. Well, I had a good time. The Warp Energy Symposium was fascinating. I actually got the chance to touch a plasma field. Troy. Really? What was it like? Geordi gestures with his hands, trying to describe it. Geordi. Incredible. I could feel the plasma crawling up my arm. It was warm, and it gave off a tingling sensation that suddenly, inexplicably, everyone except Troy freezes in mid-motion, as if time has stopped, completely motionless. Geordi in mid-speech and gesture, Picard with a cup of tea halfway to his mouth, Data listening, face placid. It's like a picture. It's like a picture still photograph. Troy reacts, stunned by the sight. Troy. Captain? Data? A moment later, time resumes. Everyone continues their motion as if nothing is wrong. Only Troy has noticed what happened. Geordi, continuing dialogue, went all the way down my chest. It was kind of like taking a bath in pure energy. Data. It was not painful? Geordi. Not at all. In fact, Geordi notices that Troy looks shaken. Geordi. Is there something wrong, counselor? The conversation stops, all attention to Troy. Troy, I'm 
Not sure. Off Troy's reaction. Fade out. End of teaser. Which brings us to Act 1. Fade in. Note. Episode credits fall over opening scenes. Before I go on with Act 1, I just want to point out a little bit of trivia. So the runabout that they're using in this episode was a brand new ship. They needed something bigger than a standard shuttlecraft. The um, runabout was actually meant for Deep Space Nine, and that's where it ended up. But in the meantime, Next Generation snuck it into at least this one episode. Anyway, on to Act One. Fade in. Note. Episode credits fall over opening scenes. Exterior space runabout. Optical. At impulse. Interior runabout. Living section. A few minutes later. Troy is on her feet, confused, trying to make sense out of what happened. Geordi scans Picard with a medical tricorder, then scans Troy. Data looks on. Geordi, off tricorder. Our bioscans check out. There are no physiological anomalies. If something did happen, it didn't leave any biological traces. Troy looks troubled. Picard tries to help her remember. Picard to Troy. How long did it appear to you that we were frozen? Troy, I I don't know, four, maybe five seconds? You just stopped and then started again. I can't explain it. Data thinks. Data, continuing. My memory record does not indicate a pause or disruption during that period of time. Data turns and works the nearby console. Data, my internal chronometer and the ship's computer are perfectly synchronized. There does not appear to be a temporal discrepancy. A beat. No one has an explanation. Geordi. Data. Let's run a shipwide diagnostic. Maybe there's something we missed. Data nods, and they move to the cockpit of the runabout. Troy and Picard sit down at the table. Note. The bowl of fruit is still on the table. Picard. Let's go through it again. You were sitting there, and we were sitting here. Describe the exact moment when things appeared to freeze. Troy thinks. Geordi was talking about what it felt like to touch the plasma field. You were lifting the cup, about to take a drink. Picard, did you sense anything from us during that time? Any unusual emotions? Troy, no, not a thing. I was empathically aware of you right up to the moment you froze, but then it all stopped. Troy sighs, tries to relax. Troy, the past few days have been exhausting. Maybe it was my imagination. There were moments in that lecture hall when I thought time was standing still, too. Picard smiles. Picard, there is another possibility, Counselor. Perhaps this was nothing more than a simple... New angle, from Troy's point of view. In the blink of an eye, the entire scene has changed. Picard, Data, and Geordi are now standing closely around Troy, looking at her with concern. Geordi is scanning her with a medical tricorder. Troy is stunned. It takes her a moment to realize what has happened. Picard, are you all right? Troy, what happened? Data, you've been motionless for three minutes, eleven seconds. Troy, motionless? Picard, it appears to be the same effect you described to us. Can you remember anything? Troy thinks, unsettled. Troy, no. One second I was sitting here talking with you, the next you were all standing around me. Geordi works the tricorder. Geordi, off tricorder. Wait a second, this is weird. Troy, what is it? Geordi, I had the tricorder run a comparison between the bioscan I took of you earlier and the one I took just now. In the time between the two scans, 
you should have aged 23 minutes, but according to your cellular decay levels, you've only aged 20 minutes. Picard reacts, what could account for the discrepancy? Geordi, I don't know, sir. It's as if for three minutes time stopped for Counselor Troy. They consider the situation. This is getting weird. Picard, Mr. Data, contact the Enterprise. Tell Commander Riker to get to the rendezvous point as soon as possible. Have him begin scanning the region for temporal anomalies. Data, aye, sir. Data exits into the cockpit. Geordi, I'll take a look at the sensor logs, see if I can find anything. Picard nods. Geordi starts to work a nearby console. Data, off screen. Captain. Picard and Troy exit into the cockpit. Interior runabout cockpit. Data at the controls. Picard and Troy join him. Data. The Enterprise is not responding to our hails. Picard. Are we within sensor range yet? Data. No, sir. Picard. Increase speed to the rendezvous coordinates. Data. Aye, sir. Data works. Exterior space runabout optical as it goes into warp. Interior runabout cockpit optical. A few minutes later, Data and Geordi at the helm, Picard and Troy look on. A small warning alarm goes off in the console. Continued. Data, off console. We have an engine failure warning in the... Suddenly the ship jolts and veers to the right. Picard and Troy hang on as the ship shakes. Picard, report! Geordi, the starboard nacelle just cut out. Data works. The ship stops shaking. Data, attitude control has been restored. Picard, full stop. What happened? Geordi reacts to the console, surprised. The starboard antimatter pot is completely drained. The fuel reserves are empty. Picard, is there a containment leak? Geordi works. No, sir. The containment field is intact. All engine systems are operational. The fuel is just gone. Data reacts to the console, surprised. Geordi, I believe I have an explanation. According to the plasma conversion sensor, the starboard engine has been in continuous operation for over 47 days. Geordi reacts. 47 days? Let's take a look at that sensor. It must be malfunctioning. Picard, I'll check the fuel consumption logs. Picard moves toward the living section. Then there is a scene that is omitted. I would love to know what that was. Interior, runabout, living section. Picard enters and moves to the console. He works for a moment. Then something catches his eye. He glances at the table, reacts to what he sees. He walks up to the table, staring down at the bowl of fruit. Include the bowl of fruit. The fruit is now completely rotten, shriveled and black. Picard reacts, curious. He reaches a hand toward the fruit to take a piece and stops, reacting to a sudden pain in his hand. He yells out and jerks his hand away. Insert Picard's hand. His fingernails have grown a half inch as if time has elapsed. Picard falls back into a chair, gripping his hand in pain. Data, Troy, and Geordi quickly enter and move to him. Troy, what happened? Picard, my hand. Picard holds out his hand, which is convulsing. Troy takes out a medical tricorder and scans Picard's hand. Troy, off tricorder. The cells in your hand are metabolizing at an incredible rate, almost 50 times normal. Picard reacts. The trembling starts to subside. He takes a breath and flexes his fingers. Picard, the pain is going away. Troy, your metabolism is stabilizing. Picard looks to the table. Picard, it happened when I reached for the bowl of fruit. Data glances toward the fruit, moves to a console, and begins to work. He reacts, surprised. Data, 
Captain, I am detecting a temporal disturbance which intersects the table. It would appear that within this disturbance, time is moving at a highly accelerated rate, approximately 50 times faster than normal. They stare at the table for a moment. Angle on bowl of fruit. The fruit has now completely disintegrated into dust. Resume. Data continues his scan. Data, off console. The disturbance is roughly spherical in shape. It extends outward through the hull, approximately 17 meters beyond the ship. Geordi, realizing, that would cover the starboard nacelle. No wonder it used up all its fuel. Picard, to Data. Check the hull integrity. Data works the console. It does not appear to be affected. A tense beat. Picard, see if you can move us away from the disturbance, Mr. LaForge. Geordi, aye, sir. Geordi enters the cockpit. Interior runabout cockpit. Geordi sits and works the helm. Geordi, working. Lateral thrusters online. To Data. Data, plot a course away from the disturbance. Make sure it doesn't come in contact with our other engine. Data, working to Geordi. Course plotted. Adjust pitch to 27.3 degrees. Set heading 180 mark zero. Geordi works. Geordi, got it. Reversing at 15 meters per second. We hear the sound of the engine powering up. Data, off console. We are clearing the phenomenon. Suddenly the ship jolts briefly. Data's console beeps. Data, quickly, all stop. Geordi works. Geordi, what's the matter? Data, there is another temporal disturbance directly behind us. Geordi reacts to the console. Geordi, Captain, you'd better take a look at this. Picard, Data, and Troy move to him. Geordi, off console. The sensors are picking up temporal disturbances throughout the region. Different configurations, different sizes, they're everywhere. Geordi hits a few controls. Intercut console monitor. It displays a graphic of the runabout in space. The ship is surrounded by dozens of irregular fragments in space, like glowing shards of glass. Data, off graphic. Within each disturbance, it appears that time is moving at a different rate. Geordi, it's almost like something shattered the space-time continuum. Data, off graphic. The fragmentation effect increases along a heading of 270 Mark 15. Geordi, that's the direction of the Enterprise. An ominous beat. Picard, can we navigate around these fragments? Geordi, we'll have to limit our maneuvering speed to one-half impulse, but I think we can do it. Picard, get us to the Enterprise. As they work, exterior space runabout optical as it takes off through space at impulse. Interior runabout later. Data and Geordi at the controls. Picard and Troy standing nearby. Geordi looks out the window, perplexed. Geordi, these are the coordinates. They look out the window. Picard, perhaps they've been delayed. Geordi, off console. I've got the long-range sensors on maximum, sir. No sign of the Enterprise. A silent beat as Geordi works. Geordi, working. But I am picking up a faint reading, possibly metallic, but I can't tell for sure. The energy levels are practically non-existent. Picard, take us to it. Geordi, aye, sir. Geordi works, a quiet beat as they wait. Data, off console. The fragmentation effect is increasing. Geordi, slowing to one-eighth impulse. A tense moment goes by. They watch out the window, waiting. Then they see it. Picard, there she is. Their reactions turn to mounting disbelief, then shock. Troy, 
My God! Exterior space, the runabout, optical, as it slows to a stop in front of an incredible sight. The Enterprise and a Romulan warbird are face-to-face, hanging in space, completely frozen, as if time had stopped. They appear to be engaged in mid-battle. The warbird is firing a disruptor toward the Enterprise, but the beam is frozen in mid-blast. The Enterprise's shields are half-raised, and the ship is damaged in a few places. It's like a photograph. Both ships, frozen in time, fade out. End of Act One. So that, my dear listeners, is what I sold to Star Trek The Next Generation. The 17 pages of script that I have just read to you, that was my pitch. Basically, that uh, several of the crew members were away from the Enterprise on an away mission, and when they returned to their rendezvous point, they found the Enterprise locked in battle with a Romulan ship at the exact moment that the Romulan ship is about to deal the death blow to the Enterprise. That was the idea they loved, the image they loved, and that is what took up the first 17 pages of this script. And I'm going to stop there and resume. In the next episode, I will read the remaining acts of Timescape, and you will see what Brandon Braga did with my little idea to turn it into an hour of gripping television drama. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that facetiously. Brandon did a f- inc- <laughs> Brandon did a great, great job with this script. It's really fun. He turns it into this puzzle story where nothing is what it appears, and we don't really understand what's going on until the final minutes of the episode. I I thought it was just really clever, really brilliant writing on Brandon's part. And to think that he turned this script around in, you know, just a matter of a couple of days is just mind-boggling to me. But that's what writing for a TV series is all about, kids. I am also excited this week because I'm doing a guest uh, stint on my friend Beth Munn's podcast called Casual Space. My episode isn't posted yet, but it's going to be. We're talking about the congressional hearings on UFOs that just took place a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C. So be sure to watch for that on Casual Space. We had a really fun talk, and I think you'll enjoy it. So that's it for this episode of Far-Fetched. Hope to see you next time when we continue the dramatic reading of the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Timescape. Timescape.